Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Today, we are jumping back into our series on decoding our distress. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes in this series, we have been asking the question, why do I feel this way in relation to difficult emotions so that we can understand them and navigate them in a way that is edifying and also validating. Our goal in this is to learn to acknowledge our distress, bring our emotions to the Lord honestly, and rediscover God's heart for us as we receive his comfort, grace, hope, and joy. So last week, we began with feelings within the spectrum of fear and doubt. And today, I want to explore the feelings of shame and guilt and how we respond to them through the lens of the gospel. What is important to note here is the distinction between these two emotions and the spectrum of these emotions. From a basic definition, guilt addresses one's behavior, whereas shame dresses one's self-concept, the way we think and feel about ourselves. 
Brene Brown, researcher on shame and bestselling author, defines these two experiences saying, guilt says I did something bad, while shame says I am bad. Guilt precedes wrongdoing, while shame personalizes wrongdoing. Psychology Today defines guilt and shame in this way. It says that guilt is the emotional state where we experience conflict at having done something that we believe we should have done or having not done something we should have done. Shame and guilt, then, are different but overlapping emotions. Shame is a negative sense of who we are as a person. It has to do with how we feel about ourselves, our self-esteem, and our identity, while guilt is how we feel about something we have done that goes against our own ethics, beliefs, or values. So the first step in understanding these distressing emotional states is by recognizing them as signals of distress. Just like we talked about last week, they tell us something, tell us something that we have done or not done, what we think about ourselves in relation to our experiences. So we have to ask the question, what are they telling me? And why is it important? So the presence of these emotions impact us in significant ways. For myself included, these emotions of shame or guilt often are under the surface or hidden deep within our hearts and minds. Whether they are prompted from secrets or personal failures of perception, our tendency is to mask or hide from the exposure of our humanity. To admit we have done wrong or feel wrong shatters any and all attempts to be self-sufficient, doesn't it? The impact of shame and guilt have a myriad of effects on our bodies, minds, and souls. Distressing symptoms related to these feelings are significant, but here are just a few for you. Depression, anxiety, feelings of worthlessness, lack of confidence, isolation, self-hatred, anger, hostility, and the list goes on and on. You see, guilt and shame tell us a powerful story, and they impact our bodies and minds in painful ways. Whether true or untrue, scripts of guilt and shame have the potential to define us. Dick Keyes, the author of Beyond Identity, writes on the power of shame. He says this, the Bible often associates shame and nakedness, not because our bodies are shameful, but because our nakedness represents total exposure with all self-illusion stripped away. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked, but not ashamed. After their rebellion, their first response was to feel shame at being naked. Shame strikes directly at our identity by showing us that we are not who we thought we were. It attacks our self-acceptance because at the center of it is a feeling of self-rejection. This is so true, isn't it? I've experienced this myself. And when shame destroys our identity, it can create all sorts of distortions for us and what we think about ourselves and what we think about God and the relationships around us. And so this is why it's vital to develop our ability to acknowledge and understand guilt in a healthy way and also to disarm shame so that it no longer can destroy our identity as beloved children of God. S. Bruce Naramore, a religious psychologist, notes the difference between constructive sorrow, which is guilt, a remorseful response that leads to confession and reconciliation versus self-focused guilt or shame, one that damages our self-image. I love this explanation because it provides a new perspective on our view of guilt and shame, doesn't it? Shame, which is rooted in our shattered self, 
is often the tool Satan uses to keep us from connection and victory. In contrast, constructive sorrow invites us to reclaim our identity as beloved and return to connection with God and others. There is such a soul aspect in this emotional experience if we're able to see it through this lens. Instead of being wrapped up and stuck in shame, we can experience guilt that leads us back to relationship. It speaks to what we value. As depicted in scripture, we find that honesty and connection are often eroded by the presence of unresolved guilt and shame. We were made for connection with God and others, but sin and its effects have fractured our imago Dei, marring our reflection of God. And within a fallen world, we not only are able to do wrong, but we are unable to remove the shattered nature of sin from our humanity. Although we may try, and many still do, myself included, seek to abstain from personal sin or bury our pain, guilt, and shame, it does not give us a way to escape the reality that we cannot undo what has been done. Romans 5 talks about this in verses 12 through 21. Paul explains how through Adam, sin entered the world, and through Jesus Christ, grace enters the world. And in verse 17, it says, For if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is something that I think can transform our perspective when we experience feelings of guilt and shame. Mark McMinn notes that to cope with sin, sin, both the things that we do and the things done in our world, we need power greater than human nature. We need God. When it comes to acknowledging sin in our lives, I often see how easy it is for us, and I speak from personal experience, to either lack self-awareness of our need for God within our moral adherence or withdraw from God in our moral failures due to our self-consciousness. Yet I'm learning that in either side of this continuum, I am as much at fault and as much pardoned because of the grace given through Christ. This foundational truth changes the way we see ourselves, sin, and God's heart for us. What if admitting our sin could be seen as taking steps towards understanding grace deeper and celebrating the good news of the gospel? This is the foundation for our spiritual and relational formation. We read how shame and guilt disconnected Adam and Eve from God's presence in the garden in Genesis 3. And so too can it do the same in our lives today if we do not recognize it, wrestle with it, and renew our minds in the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. In scripture, we see how God moves towards his children who run and hide from him, asking them to come out and to come home. So whether you are experiencing feelings of guilt and shame even today, or maybe you've experienced guilt or shame in the past and those past experiences have come back as memories or as regrets, the practice of confession and the practice of repentance are powerful reminders and disciplines that both reveal and renew our relationships with God and with others. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Let me explain the two, and then we'll walk through this together. Confession acknowledges wrong, and repentance returns to God's will and God's way. In 1 John, we read, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from our unrighteousness. And then in James 4, 8, it says to come near to God, and He will come near to you. I think oftentimes these terms, confession and repentance, can be really distorted in our cultural moment. And I'm really passionate about this because I think even for myself, confession and repentance have been pain points for me because either they were done in unsafe places or they were distorted to create more guilt and shame. And so maybe you have experienced this as well. And so when you hear the terms confession or repentance, it maybe even brings up feelings of guilt and shame. And what I found so healing for myself, and I encourage clients and my friends and community to be able to recognize confession and repentance as like daily practices of being human. And this has been freeing for me because what it does is it aligns my acknowledgement of my humanity And also, it keeps me coming back to God and realigning to His grace and realigning to His way and realigning to His word. I think of Ezekiel 18, where where God says He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. You know, His his heart for us is abundant life. And yet, in our humanity and in our self-will, I think we oftentimes take it in our own hands to find glory outside of God. And that is the ramification of sin. That is the definition of sin, doing something outside the bounds of God's glory and God's good for us. And so this can be a really helpful practice when we daily come to him and check in. This can be a really helpful way to draw near to God in a repetitive pattern so that confession and repentance is just a way of being close to someone. You know, we see this from a relational standpoint as well. Socially, I believe that constructive sorrow can prompt us to draw closer in relationship with one another, right? It says confess to one another and pray together and to go to our brother when we've sinned against them and to apologize. This is repair from a counseling standpoint, and it's the biblical term of reconciliation, And so what we see here is that in our relationships, both with God and with others, confession and repentance is a way of being with someone, right? Think about any relationship you have in your life. You know, you probably had a hard conversation with someone. And what we do in those moments is we don't run from those relationships, but we come to those relationships and we apologize and we, we press in. And so when guilt and shame are present in our lives, It is an automatic signal for us to pause, to get 
quiet, to get with the Lord, to check in with our hearts, to ask ourselves what's going on. What, what am I reaching for that maybe is my own version of good and maybe not something that God has given me for good? This is hard work, and I won't negate that, but I will also say it produces such humility and such empathy, right? Because when we think about this from both a personal and relational standpoint, when we are able to acknowledge our own needs and sin specifically, we're able to then have empathy for the sins of others. It's such a flourishing moment because we we create openness and depth and connection. And that's what this is about. And lastly, I think some helpful tools for this practice could be praying the Psalms of repentance. And there are some beautiful liturgies. There are some ways of praying. I use the prayer of examine as just tools that we can engage with that really allow our souls to renew in the goodness and grace of God. I'm recognizing and we all recognize as we go through our spiritual life, sin is still here. We can't run away from sin, right? Sin is, it's evading our entire being. And we have the power of Christ in us, this coexistence. And with the good news of the gospel, we have the ability to overcome sin. Death has no hold on us for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this promise is what reassures us. It's what reorients our minds. And so my encouragement in prayer, as we go into this week, as we go into checking into our souls and being with the Lord, that we will be reminded of God's goodness and reminded of God's grace and how that is the antidote to guilt and shame. So today I want to close with Psalm 51.10. David says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. May this be our prayer today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.